0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my pals David Moore and Evan Grant. Hello, fellas. How are we doing?
1: Who goes first? Doing
0: okay. It, it, you know, I don't know why that stumps you
1: guys so badly, but go right ahead, Evan. Hi, I'm okay. I'm doing good. It's good to see y'all. <laughs> That's great. That's super. I, know, you you know that. I need to take a class on salutations and greetings. I, I don't know yeah. how to do that. Yeah, I'm doing great. I mean, everything's fantastic.
0: I notice when people wave at you, you have a really, you really struggle with that. Like, do I, do I put my hand? Do I move it side to side? What do I do? Yeah. Okay. You don't there go you with the pageant go. wave.
1: Yeah. I've gone to the uh, kind of like bear claw wave, where I just kind of move <clears throat> my hand up and down.
2: Yeah, that's that's special.
1: Very nice, yeah. David. Uh, have you recovered from the draft?
2: Yes, it's not as hard on me as it is on the uh, the players who are waiting. Maybe a uh, a certain Kentucky quarterback uh, suffered through the draft a little bit differently than I did, and a few other players who thought they would be taken and were not. But um, yeah, oh, say, say Will. A, Will Nevis did not look like he was suffering sitting there on that
0: couch with all those women around him. I don't know if I would call that suffering. Maybe he thought it was. I don't think a lot of other people would have. But anyway, moving forward, yes.
1: The Will Levis girlfriend memes are just going to get out of control. Yes. (laughs) I saw one yesterday that had like her, that had like uh, um, uh, subtitles at the bottom with her asking about Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and things. It was just, it was just cruel. (laughs) <laughs> it's
0: just too bad for old will i gotta tell you this so we're not really gonna talk a whole lot about the whole draft but i i gotta tell you i don't see a whole lot of difference between anthony R- richardson going fourth and will levis going in the second round i mean I, there's a lot of difference there's a lot of space between those two guys i don't know that there's a lot of space between the two of them as quarterbacks and i saw babe loffenberg's notes on um, Anthony Richardson and I, and gotta agree, i got to agree. I think the guy's a tremendous talent, tremendous talent, but he started 13 games in college. Uh, there's not a good track record for quarterbacks who started that few games. Uh, and, uh, and he was just wildly inaccurate, you know, he, he just, and, and how's he, how, how are they going to make up for that? You know, in the pros, you know, in, in Indianapolis, how are they going to give him that time? If he's not the starting quarterback to, to start out, where does he get the reps? You know, they just don't do that in the in the NFL. So I, I just, to me, that was just kind of a crazy pick. And, and Will Evans probably went more where he should have gone. So anyway, that's my commentary on the, on the quarterbacks taken in the draft.
1: Hi. He was a real hit and miss guy. I mean, he was. I I, I I don't know. It's it's impossible for me to scout quarterbacks, but he just seemed real hit and miss.
0: Well, it is, you know, obviously the NFL is really bad at it too. As as the late Mike Leach used to say, you know, what do they know about drafting quarterbacks? You know, the greatest of all time was a sixth round draft pick. Uh, So yeah, uh, I think that's, there's a lot of accuracy in that. I'll I'll just say if a guy hasn't done it in college, it's a little bit like the Leonie Tavares thing, right, Evan? If the guy didn't do it in the minor leagues, why do you think he's going to do it in the big leagues? If The guy didn't do it in college. What in the world makes you think he's going to do it now? I mean, Maybe he will. It, it just seems like Anthony Richardson should have played another year in college just for his own good, you know, and with NIL, the way it is now, he could have made plenty of money and had a good time and lived a nice life. And, uh, uh, and maybe really, although he, he's the fourth pick of the draft. How can you argue with that? Right. So, no, I mean, uh, it
1: worked out for maybe. him individually in the short term. We'll see about the long term.
0: Yeah, that's the problem for him. I I just hate to see you know him uh, put in a position where he he can't succeed, uh, and, that, and that may happen. But anyway, well, we're going to talk about the draft a little bit more later as we get into the podcast. Uh, before we get any further, though, I did want to uh, comment on the passing of our our good friend and colleague Chuck Carlton, uh, who who died, uh, of course, and uh, last Friday, uh, Friday a week ago, in the uh, in Minnesota where he was covering. the the Minnesota wild and Dallas stars playoff series. Uh, Chuck had worked at the paper since 2000, um, had a long career in journalism. Uh, He was uh, one of my favorites. Uh, One of the great things about Chuck was he was really good at what he did and he was a character. And those are two of my favorite things. Uh, And we have so few of those kind of people around anymore. Uh, And uh, Chuck was always fun to be around. One of the things I found out after I wrote his obit was that, uh, he had tried out for jeopardy. I, I, I want to say that I, there was a vague recollection of that, but you would think that would jump out to you. Uh, Mike finger in San Antonio tweeted about it. And so I did ask, uh, Chuck's wife, Amy about it. And she said, Oh yeah, he did. Like in 2018 made it a couple of rounds in the, in the practice or not practice in the tryout phase of it. Uh, Chuck said, according to Amy, that he didn't have the banter to uh, to make it any further than that. And that's why he thinks he didn't go any further. Amy said that he would tape Jeopardy every day and then come home and uh, compete against the people who made it uh, and, and invariably would beat them. Chuck had a, uh, kind of an encyclopedic knowledge about everything, uh, especially pop culture. Uh, and so... Uh, that's really fun to me. He, he wanted to try out again. Uh, but, uh, first came COVID then came cancer. Um, and then Chuck's health just went into serious decline. Uh, we will miss Chuck very much. He was, uh, as I said, quite a character. So rest in peace. So, uh, let's, uh, let's talk now about the, the, the Cowboys and the draft. Uh, David, uh, did that, uh, draft, pretty much play out the way you thought it would, or were there some big surprises for you?
2: Well, I think it's always difficult to predict how a draft is going to play out when you're drafting in the bottom third of uh, the, the draft in every round. Uh, because, um, you know, so much that you actually have to jump out. You are always reacting to a run at a position rather than than starting a run at a position usually. Uh, you know the the dynamics and the feel of a draft are just different, uh, but you know this is after, this is the spot you're going to be in after back back to back twelve and five seasons. So uh, no complaints there on their part. But I, I thought um, a little surprising. I you know started catching wind and, and we wrote about it. Uh, you know in the in the hours leading up to the draft that. Uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, a conversation and a serious debate would take place about taking a defensive tackle uh, in the first round. Uh, that's a position that we haven't seen this franchise value much through the years. Um, but you know that that or offensive line or, or tight end uh, were all in strong consideration when they were on the clock at number twenty-six and. And that's what the debate wound up being when they were there. So uh, the, the board played out that way. But, um, you know, I I thought that, that I, I believe they hoped to come out with a little bit higher rated tight end than the one that they got. Uh, but again, they, there was a run at the position ahead of them in the second round, and, and they had to respond to that, uh, or they would have been left out on that front. and yeah i was really surprised from the standpoint i thought that um when you look at the needs on this team that they would have invested more picks on the offensive side of the ball than what they did you know in these last three drafts uh and this is mike mccarthy's fourth draft but in the last three drafts um they had taken i believe there was 31 picks and it was um you know it it just i it was decidedly lean toward, I think, believe it was 17 to, uh, not 31, 17 to 11, something like that as far as defense. Uh, 19, I think, to 11, uh, you know, defense to offense. Um, and th- this wound up being an even split, but three of the first four were on the defensive side of the ball. And, and that surprised me based on what uh, their apparent needs were going in.
0: So let me ask you about that because I've had several readers ask me, How much of that is just the way their board played out? And how much of it is the influence of Dan
2: Quinn? Well, I mean, they started – they had more money invested on the offensive side of the ball at the skill positions, which is why they started. And and the defense was in shambles, uh, Mike McCarthy's first year here. So uh, you knew they were going to invest more in defense uh, than offense. Um, but, but to me, what was interesting is, and I think we saw it in this draft and probably uh, haven't accounted for it enough. But, you know, one thing we've, uh, a phrase has been coined here over the last, you know, several decades, and, and it started with Tony Romo. And uh, you hear it now with Dak Prescott. You'll hear Jerry Jones talking about wanting to make the offense Romo-friendly. Uh, now it's about the offense being Dak-friendly. Well, to me, this draft was about making the defense mica friendly. And, uh, uh, you know, rather than just go, we have one of the elite defenders on this league on the defensive side of the ball, let's balance it out offensively. I think they looked at it and said, you know what? We're a very, very good defense, but we're not an elite defense. Uh, what do we need to get to that level? If we have someone in the middle who can stop the run, it's going to create more space for Micah Parsons and our pass rushers. It's going to give them more situations of third and long than they've had before. So why wouldn't we do that and take this defense from very good to potentially elite? And I think that uh, that and, and having a talent in the first round that they really liked um, convinced them that, well, well, we'll just come back to the offense. if we can, If we can take one side of the ball to elite, uh, we're going to do that. And that's how they uh, went about it in my mind.
0: So, David, uh, we've heard many times over the years that they're obviously just because it's a first round doesn't mean it's all first round talent. Uh, and that uh, sometimes there's 18 true first rounders, 21 first, true first rounders, that t- sort of thing. The most surprising thing to me about this draft was that the Cowboys said, yeah, there were just 11. 11. So, that would tell me, first of all, not a very good draft, at least not at the top. Uh, you might have more talent in the second, third, and fourth round than you had before, but certainly not at the top. Uh, that surprised me. I want to ask you if that, that also surprised you. And, and of, and of course, one of the things that they said was that Monzi Smith, they had 14th on their board. Uh, I wanted to know if if that sounded like there's no way for you to know what anybody else's boards are or any other organizations, but do you have any idea if, if other organizations – Looked at him that same way.
2: Well, they liked him, but you know the the consensus when you looked at a, a lot of of what the 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 more respected people in the media who follow this and, and, and print things they they t- most had like Bozzi is like the third, uh, you know, defensive tackle. They had the Clemson defensive tackle uh, rated ahead of him uh, as well. Yeah, in addition to Jalen Carter. So I mean, those two were normally uh, ahead of him, um, but. So, from that standpoint, yeah, but, you know, we've seen in, in recent years, I mean, none of these teams' boards stack up with what the consensus is. I mean, uh, they're in the area usually. Uh, you know, you normally don't see wide disparities, but, uh, and everyone, you know, here's the other thing, when when people outside of an organization, not tied to an organization, are analyzing a player's traits and abilities, they're looking at it independent of what a specific scheme is and what the requirements of a player are in a specific offense or defense, right? I mean, they take into account, okay, this guy would be better in a 3-4 versus a 4-3 and he'll be better in this position, you know. But they don't really break it down to, okay, well, this is what, these are Dan Quinn's defensive principles and these differ from this coordinator and this coordinator who's in the same scheme. you know. So uh, you're always going to have those variations when a team's putting together their board and working with the coaching staff on, okay, well, we elevate this trait above that one because this is what we ask our defensive linemen to do in this situation. So to me, it's not uh you have a true just athletic grade but you're also factoring in the scheme and how he's going to be used and and obviously if you have continuity in a system that's good right if if you're going through a different coaching staff every 3 to 4 years uh then all you do is kind of wipe your hands and start over so you have to find this balance uh and but the major thing is and you know Mike McCarthy said this when he came in that if you're not taking a player because you don't think he can fit your scheme and he's clearly the best player on the board, your scheme is flawed. You know, the whole point is to take the best player and uh but but that being said, the these things are often tiebreakers, right? I mean, you're talking their grades would be some players are graded basically exactly the same, so then you have to have these discussions on okay, but what if these are the two that are on the board at the time? Where do we go and why? Okay, all right. Listen, I want us to do a little exercise here in which we're going to
0: we're going to talk about who was our favorite picks and who was our least favorite picks. And we're going to start first of all with our favorite picks. And because Evan's been dying to talk about his favorite Cowboys pick, we're going to let him go first. Demand so basically, yeah, demand. Evan really was was pounding on us about this. So, Evan, who was your favorite Cowboys pick?
1: Yeah, I can't tell you how excited I am about this quote unquote exercise. Um my favorite, <laughs> Evan, pick, first of all,
2: you'll do that, what that's you're your attitude you toward do. all exercise, you must admit, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's
1: the only exercise I get for sure. Um <laughs> Yes, my favorite picks were the Eagles picks.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. I said Cowboys picks,
1: Evan. Oh, the Cowboys picks. All right, so very good line um, though. Evan, you, Evan let me ask you to
0: do this. Please, please talk into the microphone. Don't turn your head
1: away. When you're well, talking. Uh, th- let me let me again explain that I just want to turn my head away from this entire exercise. Um, oh my gosh. But since I was assigned essentially a favorite pick. Um, we're, we're,
0: we're sorry this is so difficult for you, Evan, that you gotta be on the podcast and talk about. The Cowboys in football, we have different things other than just the Rangers to talk about, Evan. I hate to break that to you. We let talk about you. multiple sports.
1: Again, okay? let me explain to the listeners a little bit about how the sausage is made. And I know this never happens on the Skip Bayless show, and it never happens. Oh my Steve gosh. But we're not necessarily talking about things that we believe in 100%. We just have to pick one that's different from the other. So my favorite pick is going to be Luke Schoonmaker, the tight end from Michigan because the Cowboys have such a rich history of success with second round tight end draft picks. And because I like the name Schoonmaker and I feel like if he has like a big year, there will be drinks out at AT&T stadium called Schoonmakers. A schooner of Schoonmakers.
2: Thank Are you, you making a mockery this? of this whole process? Yeah, thank yeah. you for
0: taking this seriously. So, in in deference to your seriousness about this, we're going to move straight over to my pick now. We're not even going to discuss yours.
1: That's right. right.
0: My favorite
1: pick. My pick. The better. Wait until <laughs> yeah. you hear my least favorite pick. <laughs> yeah.
0: My favorite pick, Deuce Vaughn, hands down. No, there was no question about it. I love Deuce Vaughn. I loved him at, at Kansas State. He's just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, yeah. uh, he he is uh, a. Did I say Ken? Yeah. So. So anyway, uh, he's just a guy uh, that 5'5", I guess they they list him at 179 pounds. He was uh, a terror to watch uh, in uh, college football. In the open field, anything he did, uh, he he catches the ball well. Uh, I believe also that these players that size tend to be a little more durable. You don't get a clean shot at them. They're very difficult to, to get a hit on. Uh, his productivity in college football was tremendous, and to get him in the sixth round, I thought was just a great value. Loved it, loved the pick, and and who couldn't love the scene uh, uh, in the uh, Cowboys war room with with Chris Vaughn, his dad, uh, when the Cowboys made the pick. Uh, I thought that the, his uh, you know peers there in the in the room were going to beat him to death, uh, but it was it was a great scene uh, and certainly worth it, uh, as they said. I, I can't imagine they did it just because he was Chris Vaughn's son. That, that's a that was a great value. I was really shocked that he lasted until the sixth round.
1: A little bit more behind the sausage-making here when we uh, prepped for this exercise. This is yep. how it went down. Uh, Kevin said, uh, guys, we're going to do our favorite draft pick. I'm taking Deuce Vaughn.
2: Okay. Thank you, Evan. You can be quiet again. David, what was your favorite pick? Well, this is a, a cop out, I guess, going for the number one pick. But uh I, I do go Mozzie Smith here. And it's because um he he's freakishly strong. Uh I think there's also to be something to be said for an organization that you know the, the last defensive tackle taken in the first round was Russell Maryland back in nineteen ninety one. Um and you know, sometimes you hear, it's like, you always had this debate in the draft too, right? We talked about it coming up. It's like, oh, you don't take a running back in the first round. You don't take a uh, this position in the first round. And, and if that's the best player and for where you are in your team's development, if that position is going to help you and that player's at a certain level, why wouldn't you? And like I said, I think this is just a recognition and it's not it's not just Mozzie Smith in and of himself. It's how his skill set fits into where this defense is and how he can enhance this defense. And just having now with him and Jonathan Hankins, uh, who came in last year and helped solidify the middle of that that Cowboys defense, um, you know, what if we've talked about this franchise for so many years defensively, they were weak up the middle. They were weak at defensive tackle. And they were weak at safety. And that's how, you know, offenses were attacking them. Well, now they have a a trio and arguably they can go four safeties that are pretty strong. And now with Hankins and and Mozzie Smith in the middle, with the rotation of other guys like Zua uh, and Bohanna, uh, suddenly you you look at that interior a little bit and go, well, you – Teams can't run on them like they used to. And 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 that really caught up with the with the Cowboys over the course of the season, I thought. Their inability uh, to stop the run. And you saw their pass rush become much less effective as the year went along.
0: The, the thing about uh, uh, Mazi that makes this work for me, uh, and it's still a little to be left to be known, is that how good of a pass rusher is he going to be? Because if he's just going to be a run stopper, then, then you're always screwed about well, who are we going to have on the field here? Because, you know, there's no such thing as like, oh, now, now they're going to throw. It's third down, so now they're going to throw. Teams throw on any down now. So uh, it, it does expose you a little bit. But, you know, one of the things that was promising was, I think, uh, in a lot of those draft grades, uh, I think that next-gen stats ranked him as, even though, as we talked about earlier, he was ranked among the third, the three top defensive tackles, he was ranked second best in, in athletic ability. So he does have a lot of athletic ability. He's a, he's a big guy, very strong guy. But as Will McClay said the other day, he thinks there are some things they can do to help him in his pass rush and to kind of free that up a little bit. Uh, and he would
2: get in the backfield close to the quarterback, but just didn't close the deal. So he yeah. he's shown the ability to penetrate and get back there. Then it's about the technique of of once yeah. you get back there.
0: Well, that's obviously the thing too, is right? Is pushing that back. If you're yep. pushing it back, then that's good enough. Yep. All right. Now we're going to everybody's least favorite. Evan, we're back to you. Just say what it is. Just say a name, and then just be quiet.
1: Yeah, my least favorite draft pick is Lucas Coonmaker um, because <laughs> <laughs> I Evan, like,
0: you're not taking this exercise. No, seriously. I'm taking it
1: completely seriously. I like the name. I'm not sure I'm crazy about the player. I, I, okay. I mean, David, to to your point. There was a run on tight ends. How far down the list did the Cowboys go? And did they just take a tight end to take a tight end? Um that's my question about the second round pick. I I, I feel like you know, they maybe they could have found a way to trade up for one of those guys a little bit higher in the second round. Um I, I just feel like they said, Well, we we went this way in the first round, we've got to have a tight end. So here's the Here's the next guy on the board. And I don't know that that for me is a real uh, solid strategy.
2: No, I think there's some validity to that for sure. I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, Mike McCarthy said afterwards that there were seven tight ends in this draft class that he was excited about. And he thought he would be happy with any of the seven as far as what they would bring the offense. They will bring a little bit different things, but he would have been happy with seven of them. Uh, I think Scootmaker is probably about five or six on that list. And so it speaks to, well, this is a really good tight end class, but if we don't get one here, we're not really going to be able to upgrade that position. Uh, but but then when you get to that point, you start balancing it with, well, do we like the receivers who are here? Do we like this position, that position? And uh, th- they're, you know, when things are a tie, positional preference does go into it, and, and I think I think what you saw in the second round was clearly positional preference uh, took on a little bit more weight when they were on the clock looking at the landscape.
0: Yeah, I I think I'm going to – first of all, I'm just going to say Evan also took my least favorite with Schoonmaker. And and basically because the guy's going to turn 25 on September the 28th, which is just phenomenal. I mean, that's older than, you know, two of the other tight ends they already have. Um, And that's that's a little worrisome. Also, his injury history is a little worrisome. He hurt both shoulders this last year. He had a bad heel at his pro day. Um, He ruptured a spleen in high school. He actually spent five years in high school because he got mononucleosis and then retro to spleen playing football. So um, he's, he's had had quite a track record for a guy just coming out of college. Uh, So that's a little worrisome, but David, I I want to ask you this question because right, right after uh, the Cowboys took him uh, Osiris Torrance, the guard from Florida went and, and I had seen in a lot of mock drafts and, and I thought it seemed like a good idea to me, that the, and he was consideration maybe in the first round and the Cowboys might have taken him then because there was a feeling that he was the best guard in the draft. But clearly the Cowboys did not feel the same way.
2: No, in fact, when uh, you know the the debate uh, when they were on the clock at twenty six in the first round, they began discussing three players. Uh, you know, you may have seen the 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 tape they released about the conversation in the final two minutes at which point they had whittled it down to two. It was Mozzie Smith and an unnamed uh, offensive player uh, who was clearly an offensive lineman. That player was Syracuse's Matthew Bergeron, uh, who had played tackle in at Syracuse but was projected to be able to swing inside the guard. So Bergeron was the, the offensive lineman they liked. And it's interesting, outside of the first round, I think they clearly weren't convinced about any of the offensive linemen that were there in the second which is also why they went toward um you know uh tied in because because if like you say i mean he was there if they if they would have had him rated higher they would have gone with him over um schoonmaker because they do need a guard you know uh that that's a walk-in that's a potential for a walk-in starter with the first or second round pick all right david uh who who's your least favorite I would probably go over Sean uh, to to the chagrin of of members of the Jones family who attend <laughs> UT with him. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Paxton. Um, I know, you know. and uh, it, it, that just seemed. Um, I I like him. I don't know that I like him in the third round. Now, if he's going to contribute, doesn't matter if you if, if if a fourth round talent is taken in the third and still makes your team and helps you. Is that really a bad thing? No, but I just thought I I was more intrigued by some other players on the board there, including some running backs that were still available at that spot that I I thought would have uh, uh, addressed some of their needs a little bit more.
0: Yeah, uh, I saw DeMarvin o- Overshone play quite a bit uh, at Texas, and and I thought he was a really good player. Uh, I I did not feel like he uh, dominated. And, of course, if he had dominated, perhaps he would have gone higher than the third round as well. But uh, I just thought there were games where I felt he like got a little lost. I You know, he's not a real big guy. Um, I think they list him at 238 pounds. Uh, and, and I felt a little bit of that, like that maybe he was getting swallowed up uh, in the wash a little bit sometimes. But – you know, if if, uh, if they're playing, they're spotting him uh, within their play, and he plays mostly in special teams to begin with, then I guess that's okay. Although, you know, you hate to be talking about special teams with a third rounder. I think that still seems a little high for that kind I of hate thing. To
2: see You hate to see Fossil in the uh, Cowboys draft <laughs> room jumping up and down. Uh, so enthusiastically for a third round <laughs> pick, because that tells yeah. you that you know again, yeah, and he's going, going, going to help do. special teams. But you want you want to see his position coach jumping up and down, not the special teams coach.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, before we get out of this uh, uh, the Cowboys segment of this podcast, David, I do want to kind of uh, clean up a little bit here, do a little house cleaning. So they didn't take. Uh, well, I guess they Asim Richards was a tackle at North Carolina. He, they said he could possibly play inside. Do you think he's a candidate for that left guard spot, or do you think they will solve that with uh, a Matt Farniok or somebody else that is already on the roster?
2: Well, that's that's going to be internally now. I I don't I don't see a fourth round, excuse me, a fifth round pick like a Richards, who's an off outside tackle moving inside. I don't see him seriously competing uh, for uh, an interior you know left guard position. I think uh, uh, you know they signed a veteran. Uh, in the offseason, Udoko, uh, I think he's in the mix there at guard. Uh, Farniak, they've moved Josh Ball, who's been here for a year out from outside. He he will compete at left guard. And they'll see if any of those players can handle it. Remember, if you get down to this and, and they're not happy with those options or they think it leaves them, it, it creates a weakness. Uh, my belief is... This is the last resort for them, but it's still also maybe the most likely, where they just kick Tyler Smith back inside the left guard, which is what they projected last year. Put Ty- Tyron Smith back at left tackle and then keep Terrence Steele at right tackle and go from there. So that's always – I know there's a lot of consternation and people saying, what are they doing? Um, I think they're just experimenting in, in in OTAs here that are coming up in, in the mini camp to get a feel – can some of these guys move over to this position and create real competition at left guard? If it's clear none of them can do it, uh, I, I think they'll they'll get back to what most people think makes the most sense. But they want to they want to play this out and see see what they have here. Okay, all right. That's going to do it for
0: our Cowboys segment of our podcast. Uh, we're going to move over to talk about the Rangers now. The first place, Texas Rangers. Uh, Evan Grant, if you had been told going into this season that Corey Seager would be out. Uh, Mitch Garber would be out. Jacob DeGrom would be out. Let's see, who else am I leaving? Oh, and Jacob Rizzi is out for the season. Glenn Otto is out for at least 60 days. Um, Would you have thought that the Rangers could be in first place?
1: No. I I mean, that's the obvious, right? I mean, your best pitcher and your best player uh, both out. um, You would not think that they'd get off to – the kind of start that they've gotten off to, uh, the the situation is a little bit it's a little bit different because really to this point he hasn't missed a start. He's come out at two starts early, but he will now miss some time in May. I, I think the impressive thing is the way they've navigated without Seeger for two weeks, um, really longer than that, more like three now. Um, I thought going into the season, you know my my month my month record had the rangers going 18 and 10 at the end of april and that was with a full team and with everybody healthy the fact that they're 17 and 11 and in first place with a two-game lead at the end of april with the number of injuries they've had and listen they were without their starting center fielder for the first two weeks of the season as well whether that's a plus or minus that remains to be determined but given all that that they are in first place is is a significant accomplishment they have a they have done what they needed and it Accomplishment's a bad word. It's a significant step. This was a, a, a first significant step. There's a lot more along the way, but the Rangers have done what they needed to do to get out in front of the division and establish themselves as a real threat in the division, and they have a chance now to kind of take control of the division.
0: Evan, I want to ask you this uh, based on, first of all, the, the obvious need at this point for this team is a closer. And then we're going to talk about needs and what the the Rangers can do at at any point uh, leading up to the all-star break. But how much credit do you give the manager for the fact that this team is in first place with all the things that have happened with the fact that the closer has been, you know, uh, in flux, the position has been in flux. And it should be because Jose LeClerc has done nothing to give anyone confidence that this is the guy you want to keep in this role going forward. How much credit do you give Bruce Bochy for putting up for holding all this together?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, the one thing on the closer um, is they've had so many big leads that they just haven't had that many save opportunities, so there hasn't been that many opportunities for the closer to blow games. Um, but they are three for six in, in save opportunities, so yeah. they haven't been great in in uh, in April. Um, I give Bruce Bochy a lot of credit for having a steady hand and for being just an experienced voice and something that they needed, I think, in that clubhouse. I, I, it's hard for me, and I know that a lot of these guys have not been there for a long time, but it is hard for me to put into words the difference, and this is, again, no insult uh, to Ron Washington or Jeff Bannister or Chris Woodward at that point, um, but it's hard to put into words what a veteran manager with real chops brings into a clubhouse in his first year. And I think that we're seeing that effect. Uh, he's done a good job of putting guys into situations where they can succeed, um, because they've had a number of surprising performances, right? Travis Jankowski, who they've picked and chosen spots for, has performed far better than anybody would have expected. I think right now he's fourth on this team in war at the end of the first month. Um, Ezekiel Duran has done everything he needed to do to seize an opportunity and is getting that. He started the last three games at shortstop. He started seven of the last eight games. Uh, and one thing I want to investigate now is we saw, at least in the first half of last year, kind of the blossoming of Jonah Heim as a player. Uh, He's got a catcher for a manager. He's got a real um, advocate in Bobby Wilson on the staff. I want to know, I want to talk to Jonah this week a little bit about what that has done for him. Because what we've seen is he's been the best catcher in the American League, Uh, and quite frankly, I mean, his war in April was on par with with Mike Trout, he's been as good as, as any player in the American league in April. So um, those things have been important. And, and the, the the other part of that is that Haim and Josh Young hitting fifth and sixth was well, young fifth and, and Haim sixth, has really given that lineup some, some real length. And that's something they didn't have last year. And I think that's a big component into why this offense is piling up runs. And Bochy had, you know, intuition to say, I'm going to trust, the number I'm going to trust a rookie to hit fifth. I'm going to trust Josh in that situation. And it's, it's worked out for him. Well,
0: yeah, I, I, I tell you what, I'm giving Bochi a lot of the credit for uh, Josh Young's improvement uh, this year in high play. You know, look, he's a first round draft pick. He's a high first round draft pick. He's a real talent, you know, and, and you know, I had confidence that he was going to be a really good player, but, But Bochy has really gone out of his way to talk about him. He talked, remember in spring training, talked about him defensively. He talked about how, well, I, I, all I want him to do is play defense. I don't, you know, whatever the offense is, that's great. I just want him to play great defense. And he talked about it all the time. He seemed to be going out of his way to do that. I think it felt like to me, he was saying to Josh Young, Hey kid, you're a great talent. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be great. And I, and I think the fact that when a three ring manager tells you that, uh, that goes a long way toward building your confidence in what you're trying to do.
1: I think there was some assurance there. But, Kevin, I also think that those those three weeks last year for Josh in the big leagues were invaluable. Um, oh, sure, you- no question about it. Yeah, I,
0: I, I, listen, I didn't lose any confidence in him because of that. I didn't think, oh, my gosh, this guy's a bust. I thought no, he was I, going I, I, yeah.
1: I think there's. I think he's a guy that, like, because of what he applies and because of what a good learner he is, He's the kind of guy that would take those three weeks that he had last year and really be able to apply those lessons over the winter. The fact that he's been healthy, the fact that, as you said, I think Bochi has – I don't think Bochi has needed to instill confidence in him, but I think he's basically reassured him, hey, I got your back. You know, just go out and perform. We're not going to take you out of the lineup. We're going to put you in there. We, we believe in you. Um, and last but certainly not least is the fact that this is a different – kind of prospect than the Rangers have had in a long, long time. He's a really intelligent hitter. He's really in tune. You know, the thing for me about Joey Gallo, and Joey's off to a great start with Minnesota, and and God bless him. But the thing about, to compare Joey Gallo and Josh Young, I think Josh is a kid who had confidence and who had who knew his swing. I think Joey was a kid who lacked confidence internally, and I think he was a guy who often would go to guys and say, fix me. I don't know what I'm doing. And there's a big difference in how quickly guys can um, adapt to the big leagues and, and, and succeed up here when those are your, those are the two main planks in your, in your mental platform.
0: Yeah. I know there's no question about that. And also your points about Jonah Heiner, well taken too. He's just been terrific uh, because not only is he great offensively, obviously he's great defensively. Um, he, he's a terrific all around catcher. I can't, You know, since Pudge, the the Rangers haven't had anybody like this. So uh, the question, of course, in my mind, is how well does he hold up? Because he didn't hold up last year. Uh, One of the points that you made today, I thought was a very good one, is that because the games are so much shorter now, uh, perhaps that'll help. He's not sitting around for another 30 minutes, you know, squatting behind the plate uh, for an hour doing that kind of thing. But the question still remains. It's still out there because of what happened last year. Uh, you know, and Mitch Garver has not you know, alleviated any of those concerns by the fact that he can't stay healthy. So, is, is Sandy Leone going to really be good enough that they can spell uh, Jonah enough? Uh, is uh, you get the impression that, you know, how close is, is uh, Mitch Garver to, to returning?
1: Yeah, you know, Mitch Mitch is going to be at least another three weeks, and, and I think it's got to raise some real concerns about what what is his ability going to be going forward to, to help this team, because this is going to be two two significant injuries in two years with the Rangers, and he's had a track record of, of, of injuries. I do think that it's something the Rangers are going to have to investigate uh, closer to the deadline. But listen, you can add a backup catcher at the deadline of, of things that are – Difficult to add. Backup catcher is not really among them. Um, But yeah, you know, the Rangers have played 28 games. Jonas started 21 of them at catcher and one at DH. He's not going to be able to start three-fourths of their games this season. So they're going to have to come up with some kind of alternatives. Um, Maybe, maybe they get to a situation. You know, this is something that they thought about going towards the end of spring and and something they played around with at some point. Maybe they think about carrying three catchers, and maybe they can get Garver one start behind the week and Leon one start behind the we- behind the plate once a week, and that gives you Haim catching more like 60% of games and 80% of games. Uh, but it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's going to be a challenge for them um, to make sure that he stays fresh, healthy, um, and, and productive all, all season long. I do know that, and Jonah and I talk about this summer and spring training, that, you know, last year, again, was a good learning experience for him, and, and, and how he wore down in the second half, I think, gave him uh, some work that he did nutrition-wise and, and, and off-season uh, activity-wise. And I think having just gone through that physically one time makes you at least a little bit better prepared to handle it the second time around.
0: Yeah, well, that's going to be important. All right, Evan, let, let's let's talk about the, the things that we, that the Rangers are going to need to do. Uh, so, on their need scale, I know we're not talking about doing this this week. We're going to talk about it as the market develops. But on their need scale, let's say Jacob Degrom, worst case scenario, is going to be out, done uh, for the season. He's going to need Tommy John. I think- is the biggest going to be a closer? Is the, is the need going to be for a starter? Uh, how how do you rank those things? Well,
1: I, I think you just killed about half of our listeners when you said <laughs> those words, and some creative uh, some creative succession type editing might uh, really uh, really throw them over the edge. But if Jacob Degrom is out, clearly, I think the Rangers are going to have to look for another starter. But I still think that the primary need is closer. I mean, if there's one question I've got about this club after the end of April, it's how are they finishing games out? How much confidence do they have to finish games out? Now, I do think it's important in May that they start to take more of a look at Jonathan Hernandez in a ninth inning role. But if you put Jonathan Hernandez in the ninth inning, there's no guarantee, you know, he had a rough outing in Cincinnati that first time, and there's no guarantee that he's going to seize the role. And if he does... Are you pulling out a really reliable guy from the sixth, seventh, eighth? So there's some, there's some maneuvering that's got to go around, that's got to go on here. But I do think that, from my perspective, and I, I just don't know that I can play this hypothetical because I don't think that Degrom is going to be out for the full year. But in, from from where I sit right now, closure is still going to be the primary need that they're going to have to that they're going to have to nail down if this team intends to both compete for the AL West. And make a run in the playoffs. All
0: right. I'm going to bring up a, a a name from the past here. You you've already mentioned it in print, and I and I like this, uh, and that's Lance Lynn. Uh, the White Sox are off to a terrible start. Uh, Lance was off to a terrible start until he threw six no hit innings in a game that he eventually lost, or the White Sox lost. Um, if you know what is Lance now, 36. He's going to turn uh,
1: 36 this month. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so he shouldn't cost you a lot uh, if you were to go out and try to land him at this point. I wouldn't think, even though he's been very good the last two years, he's really been very good ever since he you know, he was good for the Rangers. Uh, he's, he's put together a really second-half rena- – uh, been a renaissance man here in the second half of his career. Uh, so uh, let, let's say Jacob's just going to be out for a couple of weeks. I don't, I, I don't mind the idea of bringing, you know, making a trade for for a Lance Lynn if it's not going to cost you too much, just you know, for the fact that you know Odorizzi's not
1: available anymore,
0: right? I mean, is, is wouldn't that be a, a a good move in your mind?
1: Listen, there, I, there are a number of ways you could approach this. Um, one of them being that let's assume that Degrom's going to be out a month. Let's assume he's going to be out six weeks. Let's assume you're going to be conservative with him, right? you have an immediate need in your rotation, or you could have a you could have a hole in your rotation. Um, because I, I do think it's also important to, to acknowledge that while Dane Dunning might very well slide into the rotation and pitch well there, he's been as valuable as any reliever in the American League in, in, in April. Pitched more innings than any reliever. He's just been really valuable. So if you take him out of the bullpen, then you've got another issue there. Um, but if the White Sox are... And they are dead in the water. They are off to a horrible start. Lance has got another $15 million left in his contract this year. Uh, If I were the White Sox, I'd be looking for somebody to take any contract I could off my hands right now. And so I'd be willing to talk to the Rangers about basically a salary dump. Um, Especially since there's an option on Lance for next year. And there's a $1 million buyout. So you could be done with him at the end of this year. Uh, and listen, if you're going to get in the market for rentals, um, and it's just going to cost you a little extra money, get them for four months instead of two. Right. Uh, yeah. and I also like the idea that, right. So what I'm saying is right now you could slide Lance into your rotation if you needed to for the next month and then potentially move him to the bullpen if you needed to. After having two months, let saying, say, and Hey, we're going to prep you for this. So that, you know, you can mentally get ready and that when the time comes, we want you to be our lockdown guy. Um, I, I think I think there's a possibility for that to work. There's certainly some unknown when you're taking a starter and moving him into the closers role. And, you know, Lance's fastball is not as overpowering as it once was. But I also think if you say to the big man, go out there and give me an inning every night or every or two nights out of every three, uh, I think that's going to allow him to ratchet up the fastball just a little bit. Uh, he's got he's got good command, and he's an incredible competitor. There's part of me who thinks you know that with Mike, Maddo- Mike Maddox's ability to instill attitude, and Lance's ability to take attitude to the mound, that they would be a really good mix. They've never worked together. I went back and looked at see if they overlapped in in St. Louis, and they never did. So I, I think there's a lot to like there. The one thing I worry about in my head is my personal experience with Lance. Am I being colored by that of how much of a competitor he was three years ago? Is he a different guy now? Is he a different pitcher? Can he still do that? But I like the creativity and the fact I don't think it would cost you a lot other than some money right now. And if I'm Ray Davis, you've come this far. You have to continue to sink money into this. You do not want to give yourself any chance to, like, let something go.
0: Oh, no. No, there's no question about that. Everything's changed. Look, they they spent a lot of money in the offseason. It was kind of – it was obviously a crapshoot. It was a gamble, all that, whatever you want to call it. There was no question. It was all of that. Well, now everything's changed. Now it's no longer a crapshoot. You you are in first place. You look like one of the best teams in, in baseball right now. And uh, and you, it is incumbent upon you to take advantage of that because you cannot say. And I've had readers say this to me: "Oh, you don't want to go all in and, and trade these guys because you know you will save them for next year." It's like you don't know about next year. You don't know what's going to happen. You you if you have a chance to win now and you don't take advantage of that, then shame on you. That's a that's a terrible attitude to take, especially for a franchise that is waiting for a winner as long as this one has.
1: Yeah, so, it's been. Again, you go back to six years of losing and all of that stuff. This team needs to take control of the opportunity presented itself. Like you said, Kevin, they are in first place. And I can't, you know, overstate how significant it is that there have been a number of breaks in the AL West early that only strengthen the Rangers position. You know, Seattle is going to be without Robbie Ray all season. Um, Julio Rodriguez's back acted up. I don't know what his situation is going to be in Seattle. Um, you and I talked a little bit about this before the podcast started, but the, the Mariners certainly look like they are falling prey to the inevitable regression to the mean where one run games are concerned. They've been incredibly lucky the last two years in one run games and had a, done a great job in one run games, but they've had a lot of bad luck in one run games this year. Houston's without Altuve. Or Keely left the game the other night. Alvarez's back has been um, cranky at best. So there's an opportunity for you to seize the division right now, take control of it, where everybody's going to have to play significant catch up with you all year. And I do think it's incumbent and imperative for you to do everything you can to maximize that opportunity. All right. Uh, that's the exception of trading Evan Carter, of course. Would that accept? Well,
0: yeah, let me say one more. Let's, I want say something about that before we go any further, you know, cause I've been talking about, you know, uh, I've been a little impatient about things, thinking they should run out and add a, Ryan Reynolds, who ended up signing a 45-year deal with the Pirates. Uh, why in the world he would want to do that, I have no
1: idea. Yeah, I don't know why you wrote that column. That was a dumb column. Yeah,
0: that's a dumb column. Uh, and then uh, there was, uh, you know, the fact that they, they they obviously need a closer. There's no question about that. There's nothing that's going to develop on this team that's going to turn into a closer. Uh, and, and then they may end up needing a starter. But I am willing to be very patient with Evan Carter. Uh, and, and the reason I'm willing to do that, two things. One, I'm not a big Leone Tavares fan, but if if Robbie Grossman, who's kind of been up and down so far this season, but he's, he's, he's performing well now, if he can hit like he has been, if Ezekiel Duran, uh, if he ends up playing some left field uh, when Corey Seeger comes back, if he continues to hit like he is, well, then you can get away with Leodi in center field because Adolphus is going to hit great in right field and you're getting a lot better production on that field than you've gotten forever. Uh, So you can get away with that. I want to leave Evan Carter, who is just 20 years old down there at AAA, and let him, let him just uh, have a nice season and pile up at bats and, and really get everything going before anybody pushes him to the major league level.
1: Oh, I I, listen, I I'm not advocating for the call up of Evan Carter right now, but I do think that may is significant for Leote Tavares because if the lineup, particularly the second the bottom half of the lineup, if the bottom half of the lineup does start to hit some bumps and the offense does hit a lull, um, you know, Leodi's the most vulnerable guy there. And Evan Carter's doing things at A that Leodi never did in the minor leagues. So I think that if the Rangers are looking to, at any point in time, feel like they need to address a weakness in the lineup, uh, if Evan Carter's hitting 350 with 1,000 OPS at A. Uh, the Rangers are going to look hard at that. I don't think that right now they're motivated to it. And that's one of the luxuries you have when you're off to a 17 and 11 start is that you don't have to make changes. But I do think that as the sample grows for Carter at double a, and as the sample grows for Tavares at the major leagues, you know, the scale starts to slide a little bit more towards, Hey, are we willing to make a change here? And The same thing applies. We have just not seen this in this system in a long time. We've not seen prospects whose performance demands promotion, right? I mean, if Evan keeps this up, it's the kind of thing that just simply demands promotion. It's not a move out of desperation. It's a move of merit. And that's what you're trying to accomplish here.
0: I just like to see him do it at every level. Let's let's let him do it at every level, but I'm with you on that. Uh, and uh, and, and and look, if they do get enough production everywhere, uh, and let's you know, maybe that you just want to do it anyway. If you're getting enough production and you you, know, you, you feel like whatever he does is going to be at least as good as what, as what Leodi does, so I mean, if
1: you uh, if you got to a point where you had Evan Carter in, w- in one outfield spot, Tavares in one, and Garcia <laughs> another, your outfield defense would be would would theoretically be outstanding. Um, that would be a best case scenario. Uh, <laughs> and then you know it puts you in a position where again, you know what I said this morning was all Ezekiel Duran has done in April is increase his value, whether that's to the Rangers as a potential left fielder someday or if that's in a trade as a potential headliner someday, all he's done is increase his value and increase his uh, his performance.
0: Yeah, no question about that.
1: All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers segment of our
0: podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about the stars now. Uh, we'd like to talk more about it. but uh, Frankly, we're just not very qualified. Uh, but we are going to point out, uh, that this is a very good Stars team. You know, it was not a surprise to me that they, they beat the Wild. I was surprised by the fact that the Wild pushed them around so much, especially early in the series. Uh, and then and then the the, the Stars kind of found their legs, and uh, Tyler Sagan did a great job moving up to the front line. And I think this is a really good sign. Uh, this is what I like. And I, and I thought of Bruce Bochy and the, and the way he manages in the postseason when I talked to John Miller. Uh, about him and what he liked about Bruce Bochy as a manager, Pete DeBoer, uh, when he, he gets uh, Joe Pavelski back for this series against the Kraken. uh, He has said that Tyler Sagan, who played so well after being moved up uh, was, uh, is going to stay on the first line at center. And then Joe Pavelski will be on the second line. Uh, I I think that's to me, that's just good coaching. You know, I, I don't believe in that thing. Well, when you're hurt, you you don't lose your job. You you know you you go right back to where you were before. To me, if a guy's playing well, th- this is the playoffs, and then you, and we and you need to go by who's playing well and what's working. If, if that's working, let's just stick with that. You know, uh, and that's what uh, that's one of the things that John Miller said about Bruce Bochy is that he doesn't manage the the postseason the way he manages the regular season, and I think that's right. Those are two different things. Uh, and that's what uh, apparently is going on now that will happen with the Stars. And then you you, you look across the board at everything else that they do. They get such great play and goal. Their their power play is so good. Their penalty kill is good. Uh, their five-on-five five is good. To me, there's just nothing not to like about these Stars and their chances of going all the way. Now, of course, you know we, we saw what happened to former the Stars coach Jim Montgomery and his, uh, with the Bruins. They put together the greatest – regular season in NHL history. And they're eliminated in the first round after taking a three, one lead in that series, which, you know, and then his answers weren't very good after that. I can't imagine in that Boston media, how they're going to feel about all of that. But I am I, going to say that the, I'm going with the stars. I think I said stars and seven in my prediction. I'm feeling like that's just too many games.
2: We're going to go around real quick here. Who Who you got then in this series, David? Well, I think uh, you you mentioned, you know, the the Bruins going out, Colorado went out on the other side, Um, and and so often, this first-round series, I think, really served the stars well. Uh, You lose Joe Pavelski, you're down 2-1, what happens? You come together, you win the three straight. Ottinger establishes himself as a force in the goal again, and now you have that momentum going into the second round. And this is this is what you look for in teams making a deep run. And I think just the way the first round series unfolded for Dallas sets up really well for them here. Uh, look, I think Minnesota, frankly, is a better team than Seattle, so that means Dallas, by extension, is a better team uh, than Seattle. Uh, goaltending was going to come down here. They had a hot goaltender late in that series to to beat the Avalanche. Uh, I I say I say Stars here in in six possibly five. Yeah, I just, see. That's the thing. I took
0: the Stars in five against Minnesota, and I, you know that kind of burned me a little bit. I, I was off one on them, so that's why I'm saying seven. I got I chickened out, and I'm going back with the. With the whole long series, I, I I think if it goes seven, I think that's a bad sign. Frankly, I think this is a team they should be in five or six. Evan, do you, do you have a prediction on the stars?
1: Stars in five, stars Oilers for the Western Conference uh, title. The winner of that wins the Stanley Cup.
2: Wow! Look at you! Not only did you give us this series, you summed up the next month of the NHL yeah,
0: what- season. What about in 25, Evan? What do you think about the Stars' chances uh, in 24-25?
1: I'll let you know. Next week.
0: (laughs) Next week? Next week we'll come back with that? Yeah. I'm
1: I'm, I'm a little bit – the East is going to be interesting. The East is going to be interesting. Um, I guess I'd have Carolina coming out of that. I was kind of – yeah, I guess I have Carolina coming out of that.
2: (laughs) I love Let's that. explore that more next week. I so love we. that expertise that you showed. Unbelievable.
1: I'll go with the number one seed. I, you know, I mean, it's – or the number two seed that's left, I guess. Yeah, there
0: you go. Yeah, that was – Boston was number one. Well, that's okay. Hey, listen, this is really good. I'm really proud of us for our hockey talk. This is – this is not what I was expecting and it was way above the level. And I think that readers are really going to appreciate that. And everybody who's complained to me about the fact that we don't talk about the stars. We showed them, we've talked about them. They're going to be great. I, I do think their chances are really good at winning it all. I mean, they went to the you know Stanley cup finals two years ago. Holy cow. This is a much better team. Uh, Jim Nell's done a really good job. Uh, putting pieces in place here. Uh, they
1: lost in the West semifinals last year, right? It was the Mavericks in the West finals and them in the semifinals. Yes, yes correct. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, you know, it's just, it, I I'm always just blown away by the moves in hockey, you know, cause, uh, uh, the guy who's the NHL coach of the year last year was fired after Calgary lost, uh, you know, it was eliminated the other day that no sport. Are they quicker to fire a, a a coach than than hockey, there, there's nothing even close to that. You, you have no you have no cushion whatsoever, uh, and and the, and the and the seasons are so up and down, and, and of course the stars are proving that right now. All right, that's going to do it for our, our podcast for today. We appreciate you tuning in with us. We'll be back next week, and we'll have more to talk about. And Evan will tell us more about uh, the NHL. Playoffs. Oh, I've got my
1: mock twenty-six draft, my mock NHL twenty-six draft.
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: I'm big Mr. on the fins. Hockey. I'm very big on the Fin's that year.
0: I've always said you were a puckhead. At least that's what it always seems like people are yelling at you when I'm walking with you in the ballpark. Isn't they, are they saying puckhead? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, that's it. That's it? Okay.
1: All right. I have to into. go, everybody.
0: All right. Well, we all do. So that's good. It's all coinciding here. So, from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.